And it's just scary. I mean, Kim Jong-il is... I don't think he's mentally balanced anymore. And, and he's creepy looking. He is. Really creepy looking. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about the perfect Halloween costume. <laughs> that put fear into any person, no matter what side of the aisle they supported. Absolutely. Chop me off at the knees and, hey, give me a couple of nukes. <laughs> Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 61 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us from Chicago. Barry, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Barry, could you tell our audience about yourself? Well, I am 33 years old. Uh, pretty much a lifelong Chicagoan, with the exception of four years living in Tokyo, Japan, as well as uh, four or five years in Dayton, Ohio in college. But besides that, I've been here in Chicago. I'm married with a beautiful two-year-old daughter, uh, and I guess I'm an avid sports fan as well. I don't know where that came from. None of my parents were. And tell me about your experience of living in Japan. Well, we moved over to Japan when I was 12. Uh, I, ever since then, I've had a latent fear of my birthday falling on Easter. Because was, it was the first year my birthday fell on Easter after I was born, and my father told me we were being transferred. Uh, but it was just an amazing experience, uh, living over there in a culture that is completely different, but yet there are so many similarities. Uh, also a culture that is... Really, if you look at it, at the time I was there, I was only about 35 to 40 years old because everything in Japan can be traced back to pre-World War II or post-World War II. Uh, when, in World War II, when the U.S. bombed Tokyo, they did firebombing, which leveled the whole city. So everything had to be rebuilt, and then the United States military came in and revamped the whole uh, system of the society as well including the government and uh, how they ran just day-to-day things. So it, looking at that, it really had uh, a new democracy being built just 30 years before I got there was really just amazing, seeing how a country can come from nothing to such a, a major economic power in that period of time. I, I was floored by the time I left just with the, the whole thing. What could Americans learn from Japan? honor. Uh, One thing that is extremely important in Japan is honor. Uh, There's the respect of elders. There's the the whole meaning of when you give your word, that's that. That's not something special where you hear about it and people say that's a nice thing that people should do and they don't do it enough. Over there, you shake on it. It's set. It's set in stone. Um, and also 
they don't want to lose face, so they really make sure that what they do is right. They go through and do it every day uh, in even the most mundane tasks. Uh, You'd be amazed going over there. As an American, here we have, like, all of our cars dirty. Over there, every car is pristine. Uh, They pretty much wash them every morning, and it's just having that honor of your family so that you don't dishonor them by having a dirty car which wouldn't work well for me because mine's filthy. (laughs) So having a car wash in Japan would be a good thing. That would be extremely profitable. You're a listener to the show, right? Yes, I am. So you know that we're probably going to talk about politics. Yes. Are you ready to talk about some politics? I have been thinking about it all day. I'm going to do something with you that I haven't done on any show. And that is kind of play true or false, and that'll get us going into the political discussion, okay? Okay. Okay. True or false, declaration of war against another country can only be made by Congress. True. That is correct. Why do you think that so many people, when they look at the war in Iraq, they blame President Bush as starting this war and being the only one responsible for the war itself? I think the reason why is that they look at him as the one who spearheaded it. Uh, And then also looking back at his father, kind of saying that his father had a grudge. So his father told uh, Bush 41, told Bush 43, you have to go to war with Iraq. Uh, So it really kind of a pushing through of that kind of thing. And uh, maybe a little bit of family honor also was there, maybe a little bit hurt. Uh, uh, the uh, younger Bush could have thought that way. So I I think that's why a lot of people are blaming him, but yet Congress were the ones that voted on it as well. So I I think it's very misplaced. The thing that always fascinates me with President Bush is how many people just really, really hate his guts. Yes. Do do you find that amongst the people that, you work with and amongst the people that uh, you socialize as well? Yes, I do. Uh, And Any theories behind that? I think a lot of the people that, well, being in Chicago, it's really the area that makes all of Illinois uh, a blue state, so to speak. I believe it's blue. Yeah, it's blue. Um, The Democratic side. It's uh, Chicago and East St. Louis are the two that pull the rest of the state. Um, but working with people, yeah, I mean, uh, the people I work with are either Kennedy kids or they're ones who became aware politically during the Clinton administration. And I think they just don't like him all that much because of what he did uh, in his campaign against Clinton. Uh, he would say over and over, I'm going to go into the uh, Oval Office upon election and hose it down and clean it off. And that was one of his big campaign rallies. So I think people feel threatened by that because they felt that Clinton was, uh, what, well, at least they feel Clinton was a great president, and he always heralded back to Kennedy. So it gets both of them right there. How do you think Hillary is going to be seen by people in Chicago when it comes time for her to run as a presidential candidate? On the inner city, they're going to love her. Uh, Once you begin to move away from there, 
you're going to see a divide the further away you get from the city to where people utterly despise her. Um, feel that she kind of was a carpetbagger in New York when she ran for Senate, and also that she uh, really kind of gave up her roots here in Chicago. So I think you'll have a lot of people who might disagree with the fact that she left here and said, oh, I'm, I've always loved New York. Uh, and New York and Chicago kind of have a little bit of rivalry where it's Chicago is always overshadowed by New York. And even the name or the nickname of Chicago, the Windy City, was given to us by the mayor of New York in a speech about the World's Fair, saying that Chicago was too windy to have the World's Fair. So there's always been that little give and take between the two. And now that Hillary abandoned Illinois, that could hurt her here. I think Tom from the Left Wing Nut Job podcast had a terrific point, and that was that if Hillary ran and was successful in her bid for president, then we would have either a Bush or a Clinton in the office since 1988. That's true. And you could even go back a little bit further and say in one of the top two all the way back to 1980. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's at least when since I became politically aware, I'm only seeing really two families. And how did you feel about Bill Clinton? I did not like him as a president. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Jimmy Carter. Uh, he kind of glommed on to certain things here and there. Uh, I believe a lot of what he did post uh, the, wa- the Whitewater scandal, which eventually became the Lewinsky scandal, really was trying to divert attention. Uh, pretty much any time you would see something big come from, uh, from Kenneth Starr, all of a sudden you turn around and there's something happening elsewhere where Clinton is coming out with a big announcement. It was all diversionary tactics. And I think he was just really worried about his legacy at that point. And uh, I didn't think he was all that effective. Uh, and everyone keeps uh, giving him the economic boom. I think anybody who would have been in, whether it would have been Bush 41 getting the second term or Dole beating him out in 96, would have gotten that economic boom because that the, the economy doesn't fully rest because of the president. He just happened to be there. So anyone who could have been in office at that time would have gotten that economic boom. I agree with that completely. You and I could have been president at the time, and yeah. we, we, we would have just sailed through it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was he just happened to be lucky to be there. True or false, the Chinese and Russians suggest we should now talk with the North Koreans instead of issuing tough sanctions. I believe that is true. And what do you think we should do? Should we issue these tough sanctions, or should we give in to the North Koreans and sit down and talk to them like they've wanted to do with us all along? I think it has to be a combination of both. Don't go with extreme tough sanctions until you sit down at the table and see what North Korea is going to say, and also watch them follow through. Because they've gone through and repetitively taken away uh, They'll come out of these kind of debates or discussions and say, oh, we're going to do this, and then they completely back off it after they get what they want. 
uh, being over in Japan, Korea wasn't all that far away, so I was able to learn a lot about what was going on over there. And I've always kept an eye on what's going on in the uh, Far East. And it's just scary. I mean, Kim Jong-il is, I don't think he's mentally balanced anymore. And, and he's creepy looking. He is. Really creepy looking. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about the perfect Halloween costume. <laughs> that put fear into any person, no matter what side of the aisle they supported. Absolutely. Chop me off at the knees and, hey, give me a couple of nukes. <laughs> yeah, it just, he, is, he scares me, I think, more than anybody now. And I think he should. Yes. So what do you think the solution is? I mean, do you still think it's talking, or do you think we should just batten down the hatches on this guy? Well, I, I do think it's a combination of both. Uh, I believe that we should have to go in and say, look, you did a nuclear test. You said you were never going to do a nuclear test. You did it. Here are sanctions. And then use that as a negotiation tool once you get into bilateral talks, if they're going to come back to the table of those six-party talks. Uh, and if they don't do anything or don't show any remorse or don't give anything back when we're trying to say, hey, look, come into the international community, then make it even harder. I mean, just start doing more sanctions and say, if you keep it up, we'll keep doing this until they're completely isolated from the rest of the world. See, I think we're already to that point because of the fact that we already had an agreement with North Korea that they weren't going to do that, and they broke it, and now they want to sit down and talk again. It's like, hey, we already gave you your chance, and what I think we should do is I think we should be really tough on them and literally you know, bring them to their knees with the sanctions. And, and that's about the only way that you can deal with a guy like that. Just my opinion. Well, the one thing with sanctions, though, is they cannot be long-lasting. Because once you start going sanctions, it's going to hurt more of just the regular everyday citizens versus Kim Jong-il himself. He's going to take all the food. He's going to take all the money, which he's already been doing. So you pretty much have to say, we're going to sanction you for this long until something else is going to happen and make it even worse. But I don't think it's fair for him to hold his own people hostage and use that against the world. It's completely despicable, uh, and I think that's also what you were seeing in Iraq and, uh, and also Afghanistan, that they were holding their own people hostage, and really the only way that you can satisfy that is eventually there has to be a revolution, whether it's brought from the outside or the inside. True or false, Osama bin Laden has killed more Muslims than Americans have. And why do you think that the Muslim world gives him a free pass? I think they give him a free pass because he's shown that he can scare away the big dogs. Uh, he initially was part of the group uh, of foreigners that were in Afghanistan that shoot away the Soviet army. And this was the one that was going, that everyone was fearing was going to be head to head with America in World War III. So everyone was building up, and this was supposed to be the uh, either the most sophisticated or the second most sophisticated army in the world, and he helped shoo them away. Uh, and I think that's one reason why they give him a free pass, is they see what he did. And he came to American soil 
fig- figuratively, he came to American soil and dealt a big blow to us right here, right in right in the heart of it, right in the heart of our country. Agree or disagree, Muslims of the world could have prevented the Iraqi war if they had turned over Osama bin Laden instead of helping him hide out. Oh, that's a good one. I believe it could have been prevented by just anyone over there who would have turned him over. Uh, whether it would have been the Muslims who were hiding him or really anyone. I, whoever finally gets that guy, I think, is going to be praised. Uh, all over the Western world. How about this as a bargaining tool? How about if we say, if somebody hands over Osama bin Laden alive, we'll get out of Iraq tomorrow? I I don't know. I think Iraq is too unstable now for us to leave. Uh, The pot's been stirred way too much. It would be a moral victory, but I don't think he's the one who's leading the show anymore. I think he's the figurehead, that if all of a sudden he came to America and then was tried and eventually maybe even executed, which I think would be the big sentiment over here, he would become a martyr. If Osama bin Laden was handed over to us, then we could say, hey, you know what? We've got the kingpin to why we started this war in Iraq. So there's really, at this point, no need for us to be there. Wouldn't it make sense to make that type of a trade or at least to put the pressure on somebody to help us find Osama bin Laden? That could potentially help, but it, I think it would more be along the lines of if we got rid of bin Laden, it's a serpent that doesn't have a head anymore. It's just going to start thrashing around. There's going to be no coordinated effort from the terrorist part, which uh, I've read a lot about history and was a lot of the feeling also back in World War II with Hitler. They didn't want to go directly after Hitler until until the German army was pretty much defeated because if they did that, there would be no formal structure anymore that would really restrain the German army. So they, they would just start going everywhere, attacking without any reason or... Uh, even without any feeling of, well, we're going to lose, so we might want to just hold back. They would just go and attack everything at once, uh, which would bring all the terrorists out at once, though, if we did do something like that. That could be an interesting concept. True or false? There have been over 655,000 Iraqis who have died since coalition troops toppled Saddam Hussein in March of 2003. What was the number again? 655,000. I would have to say false. Those are the reports from the British medical journal Lancet, but there are a lot of people that are disputing that. One of them is the Australian prime minister. So I guess I guess the jury is out on that. It is, you know, does that seem plausible? 655,000 Iraqis dead since Saddam Hussein was toppled back in March of 2003. What, what do you think is a realistic number? A realistic number, and I don't really have any, I mean, this is just my guess, is I'd say maybe close to maybe 90 to 100,000 uh, were killed both by either Saddam's troops fighting, uh, accidental crossfire, uh, terrorist bombings, or 
maybe by coalition forces. Um, so you're thinking maybe on a 40 to 1 ratio for every one American killed, 40 Iraqis were killed? That could be a feasible number. True or false, there's an American in Al-Qaeda. True. And do you know his name? I believe it's Anan or Aman the American is the name that he has been going by for the past few years. Yes, it's uh, Adam, or his his real name is Adam Gata. Yes. And uh, he, he was originally from Riverside, California, uh, a Jewish man who was raised on a goat farm. True or false? There are lots of goat farms in California. I would say false. Well, there's, there's at least one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, a Jewish man going to Muslims, becoming a Muslim to say he hates Jews and Americans. Yeah. It just, that floors me. It's like, okay, how, how screwed up of a childhood did you have on the goat farm? <laughs> Yeah, how make... much do you hate your parents? That's right. How much do you hate the goats? Yeah. <laughs> True or false, Mel Gibson is sorry for his drunken outburst from last July. According to reports, yes. Is he sincere? I don't know. I have not seen him. I And he's a decent actor, so I'm sure he could put on a pretty good show, even if he wasn't sincere. See, that's the thing about actors who screw up is once they start apologizing, you don't know if they're really being upfront or is it just an act? Exactly. I mean, they put on a show for us every time we watch them. I mean, is he being Braveheart or is he being uh, the guy from uh, Lethal Weapon? Yeah. Who goes on a drunken rampage and starts shooting people. Yeah, and then insulting everybody he could figure out. Yeah, you know, when you get into name-calling and you're on tape and you're arrested, it's really hard to go back and say, you know what, I didn't mean it. Exactly. True or false, if you're a Little League baseball coach and you tell your pitcher to, to bean the opposing batter, you can be arrested for assault. I believe that's true. There was a gentleman from Uniontown, Pennsylvania, he got one to six years in prison, and what happened was he. this was for a kid that was on his own team. He didn't want this autistic kid to be in the lineup somehow, so he told his pitcher and basically paid him $25 to start beating the kid in batting practice so he wouldn't be in the lineup. That One to six years isn't enough for something like that. It's little league for crying out loud. I just do not understand where a Little League coach can come off saying, oh, yeah, I don't want him in the lineup. It's Little League. It's for fun. Half the places out there don't even keep score anymore. So what does it matter? True or false? George Washington is buried beneath a rotunda floor under the dome of the Capitol. False. Where is he buried? I believe he's buried at the Masonic George Washington Monument in uh, oh, which city in that in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, which I very easily could be. No, actually, he's he's buried at Mount Vernon. Oh, he is at Mount Vernon. Yeah, he's he's at the the family house in Mount Vernon. But here's here's the twist on it: is that he was to be buried. 
beneath the rotunda floor under the dome of the Capitol. But he died before the rotunda was finished in 1828, and then the crypt was then covered up. I know in the subfloor underneath the rotunda is the burial um, shroud that they had uh, Lincoln in. I didn't know that. Yeah, they put that under there, and it's dead center right underneath the rotunda. But I never knew about Washington was supposed to be buried there. And here's my final question. All right. True or false? Gerald Ford worked as a fashion model. I would say true. That is true, yeah. That's one of those wild, weird, and wacky presidential facts. I don't know what he was modeling. Hopefully it wasn't women's underwear. (laughs) Oh, that would Well, he did have uh, Kissinger. Was it Kissinger? Yeah, no, it wasn't Kissinger. It was Hoover as uh, the head of the FBI during his term. Yeah, Edgar Hoover was the guy wearing the women's underwear. So it couldn't be too far of a stretch for to go from modeling women's underwear to have your FBI guy as a guy who likes women on women's underwear. Yeah. Barry, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. Okay. Uh, first question would be, if money were not an issue, what would you do for the rest of your life? Do what I'm doing now. Really, for me, about four years ago, I designed my own job. I designed something that I always wanted to do, which was to put on advertising seminars, to do a lot of public speaking, and now I've added podcasting into that mix. So I really kind of look at what I'm doing today, which is, you know, if, if money was no object, and really for me it, it isn't at this point, you know, I'd still be doing what I'm doing today. How about for you? For me, I think the biggest thing I would do is, Probably just pay off my house and continue my life as it is. I'm very happy with where I'm at right now. Uh, and I know, I think with most people who own a home, you're in debt until you're pretty much retired. And I think the only thing I would do is just make sure the house was paid off. Make sure I had no bills to pay. A couple weeks ago, a couple from Fort Dodge, Iowa, won, after taxes, $97 million in the Powerball. Wow. And so talk about having a life-changing moment where, you know, basically it's that scenario. Because if you figured it out, they could burn $6 million a year on just interest and not touch that $97 million. Yeah. yeah that, it is truly a life-changing moment like that. And hopefully they'll do something good with it instead of just squander it. Yeah, I think they've already set up some things, but... It is a life-changing moment from the fact that all of a sudden people start to treat you differently, and that may be something that they're not prepared for. Who knows? Yeah, there will probably be a lot of family. I'm using the air quotes right now. Yeah, don't forget about your uh, nephew, Bill. (laughs) Hey, don't forget the uh, cousin three times removed in Chicago, Barry. That's right. Hey, Uncle Frank, uh, hey, (laughs) remember that bet? (laughs) what's question number two question number two what sporting event would you like to go see any sporting event that goes on in the world 
the NHL Stanley Cup. I, I would love to see that because I love to watch hockey not only on television but also in person. How about for yourself? It, it's a toss-up for me. I mean, I, last year I watched uh, my hometown team, the Chicago White Sox, win the World Series. I didn't get to go to a single game, but I watched them all on TV, with I think most of Chicagoland. Uh, but also with the Bears run that they've had this year, it has just been utterly amazing. I'd love to be able to go to the Super Bowl to see them there. So is everybody getting Super Bowl fever in Chicago now? The Super Bowl has been mentioned a few times. Uh, but people are cautiously optimistic because Chicago teams just have a way of breaking your heart. Uh, we won't mention the Cubs then, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we're back to normal now. By the time football season starts, baseball's pretty much forgotten. Has everybody gotten over the Chicago Bulls hangover? I think so. Um, just the way the whole city is, is you had a lot of Fairweather fans, and I'll freely admit I'm a Fairweather Bulls fan. If they're doing good, I'll follow them. If they're not, I don't. Uh, and I think a lot of the city kind of fell into that same category. All of a sudden, they were, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Bulls fans, and then when they started doing bad, they just weren't there. Where, and I don't think you see that with any of the other major sports here in Chicago. Uh, if you're like a Cubs fan, you are a diehard Cubs fan. You definitely hold on to the team even when they don't do good. Oh, and we have a lot of those in Iowa. Yeah, you have one of the, uh, the AAA club there, isn't it? Yeah, we've got the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines. Okay. Yeah, but it's, I mean, you have that, and it's diehard. You don't drop away. Uh, same with White Sox fans, and uh, very much so with uh, Bears fans. I mean, when the Bears weren't doing so great, Bears fans would still be coming into work talking about the Bears, but not in the same light they're doing now, where it's just all smiles and, boy, that shutout would have been great last weekend, or anything along those lines. It was a lot more griping, but still, it was being talked about, and you could just really tell who the fans were, and they were pretty much all over the place. Barry, what's question number three? Question number three. Uh, I've as I've listened through the previous shows that you've done, and I've gone pretty much as far back as I can, uh, you've said that you are a music fan. Uh, who would be the perfect lineup for you in a band of your creation, dead or alive artists? Wow. For drums, I would pick John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. For bass, I would pick Paul McCartney. Two guitars. Two guitarists. Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton. And then for lead vocalist, I'd have Steve Perry. Ooh, that would be an interesting band. How about for your band? How would it sound? For my band, I would start off with John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. Uh, let's see, for drums, I'd also go John Bonham. Uh, and let's see, for guitarists, I'd probably go Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Good choices. And for lead vocals, and I know I'm going to get crap for this one, but I would say John Bon Jovi. 
Well, he's got a great voice. He, and he has a great range. Yes. But I, I'll still pick Perry's range over Bon Jovi's range. That's it, it, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> I just think I like the way uh, Bon Jovi's voice comes through over Steve Perry's, but I still have been to concerts from both of them, so I'm not complaining at all from either. If both bands were actually up and going, I'd go see both of them. Oh, absolutely. That would just be a... I would pay probably my the mortgage of the house to see that show. My wife wouldn't like it, but I'd have a heck of a time. What do you think your wife would pick? Oh, boy. Mariah Carey would be in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, on drums. <laughs> Mariah, let's see. Let, let's, let's have the screwed-up band. Uh, Mariah Carey on drums. Whitney Houston on bass. Barbara Streisand on guitars. And let's see, who can we have as the lead vocalist? William Hung. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, that is the dream band of all dream bands that suck. Absolutely. Oh, that would be the... They could just call themselves Sucky. <laughs> I ain't going there. <laughs> Barry, do you want to tell about your podcast and how people can... Listen to your show. Okay. Well, my podcast is the Barely Podcasting Podcast. It's primarily just about weird things that happen to me uh, and things that I observe around me and also how I can be a dork in those events. And you can reach uh, my podcast at www.barelypodcasting.com. I'm also listed at all the popular podcasting sites, iTunes, Podcast Pickle, uh, Podcast Alley, and as well as Blueberry. Barry, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. If you'd like to drop me a comment about this week's show, just email me at billgrady at youaretheguest.com. That takes care of this week's show from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.